So there, there was a point in the presentation at which, you know, I said something like, uh, you know, our company does what we do so that you can serve more homeless people and, 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 you know, introduce them to, um, to faith in, in Jesus and get an opportunity to get off the streets. And one of the board members who'd walked in late stood up, took my presentation and threw it on the table and papers just scattered everywhere. And he, he screamed at me and he's like, you're a liar. And I just backed up a little bit and I said, I'm sorry. And he says, you do what you do to make money and don't try to hide that from us. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. If you've listened to this podcast for more than 10 seconds, you know that my entire goal is to get you to schedule more visits. Most major gift fundraisers fail in this industry because they do not do the difficult, scary work of scheduling visits with the right people consistently. The majority of my success in major gifts came from constantly seeking to become as effective as possible at scheduling visits. I read tons of sales books, watched YouTube videos from sales experts, and studied Jerry Pandas' materials on the matter. On top of that, I practiced. The things I learned from experts gave me the confidence to actually make the calls. Today, I have a great resource that I highly recommend you download. Greg Warner from MarketSmart, this episode's sponsor, has put together a guide to help you schedule more visits. It's titled, Top 10 Tips for Landing More Meetings. Not only does Greg run a company that enables major gift fundraisers to be more effective, but he is a successful entrepreneur that has scheduled countless meetings and been on the receiving end of many people trying to schedule meetings with him. He knows a thing or two about this subject and provides 10 great tips, starting with a quote from someone you know I talk about on this podcast all the time, Jerry Panis. Greg is the real deal, and this guide will help you schedule more visits. Go download it now at imarketsmart.com forward slash more meetings. That's imarketsmart.com forward slash more meetings. The bonus tip, number 11, is my personal favorite. Let me know what you think. Welcome back to One Visit Away. You are in for a treat this week. This week's guest is Andrew Olson, president of Altus Marketing. Andrew, if you're on LinkedIn, you've seen him all over the place. Uh, he's been in the fundraising career in one way or another for over 20 years. Uh, he's one of the leading experts in the world in direct response marketing for nonprofits, and he's just an all-around fantastic guy. Ever since I got started with the podcast, um, he's just been extremely welcoming, even though he's like one of the... Uh, I guess, famous thought leaders in the space. He's promoted my show, just been super supportive and welcoming, and he has some incredible stories to share today. One of them, two things. One, we just hit on some topics that I think are going to uh, get you fired up to go schedule visits. And then two, he shares uh, the most awkward story I've ever heard on the podcast where I was cracking up laughing as he was telling it to me. And while editing, because it's just so horrifically awkward. But I know you're going to enjoy this fantastic conversation with Andrew Olson. 
Well, welcome to One Visit Away, Andrew. Thanks for being here. Hey, man. Great to be here. Appreciate the invitation. Yeah, so this is... Man, I feel so out of practice because my life's been so chaotic. I haven't done an episode with a guest in like... I don't know. It might be close to a month now. So you've wow. got to you got to bring it back from the grave. I will try not to mess it up for you then. Looking forward to it. So yeah, if you could just uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah. So I'm Andrew Olson. I'm the president of Altus Marketing. We're a, a direct response fundraising agency that serve all sorts of nonprofits and membership organizations. I've been uh, in our sector for almost 22 years now, which just makes me old. Um, but I've worked both on the fundraising agency and consultant side, as well as inside a nonprofit. I, I ran uh, the annual fund program in a children's hospital uh, in the Midwest for a couple of years, spent a few years raising money on uh, Capitol Hill uh, for political campaigns and committees. And uh, outside of work, I, uh, I am married to my high school sweetheart. I have three little girls. Uh, we live in, we live in Knoxville, Tennessee. And, uh, Actually, we just moved here a couple months back. We're just trying to get used to not having snow everywhere anymore, which is a nice uh, a nice benefit of the move. That's awesome. And remind me, y'all are from y'all are from somewhere up north, right? North. Yeah. So originally, my wife and I are from Los Angeles. We we spent about fifteen years in Minneapolis, okay. uh, and then moved down right before the end of twenty twenty. Okay. Wow. Well, welcome yeah. to the South. It's Thank the you much. <laughs> Yeah, so you've got some. So yeah, Andrew. For those of you who don't know, Andrew is, uh, you know, he he's one of the people that like as soon as you enter into the fundraising world or you start getting interested in nonprofits, there's a few people that are kind of uh, well known as thought leaders and just like have a great presence online. And Andrew is one of those people. You've written a book called. Remind me of the name of the book. The first so, wrote two. Uh, the most recent is 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How to Avoid Them. Uh, and then the the first one uh, was uh, Rainmaking, The Fundraiser's Guide to Landing Big Gifts. Yes. And so and that leads to your podcast by similar yes. name. Yep. Which is the Rain Rainmakers podcast or the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. Yeah, we spun that up just a couple years ago uh, after the book. Yeah. So tell everybody. So it's interesting when I uh, I'm I'm still fairly young, and when I when I got started in the nonprofit world, people would use the term rainmaking, and I didn't even know what it meant at first. <laughs> so <laughs> for all the uh, young ignorant people, tell us about about the name and uh, yeah, what drew you to it. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it goes back to the, and this is funny because it connects to a conversation you and I have been having uh, on LinkedIn with a few other folks, you know, it really connects to sort of that sales mentality, right? You know, when, when someone is a great salesperson, they're often called a rainmaker. They, they deliver revenue on a consistent basis. The same thing is, is true on the fundraising side. You know, people might not want to admit it. They might feel like, Sales is a dirty word and that's not what they do. Um, but I have a different perspective on that. Um, and so, you know, as, as Roy Jones, who's my, um, podcast co-host and who co-authored Rainmaking with me, you know, as we sat down to write that book, um, you know, we, we were, the, the book is all about how organizations and fundraisers can take donor relationships that are really transaction based, direct mail, event, online giving, type relationships and convert them into relationship-based uh, leading towards major gift uh, relationships, right? 
So uh, as we thought about that, you know, we, we, we thought, well, you know, the, the most successful fundraisers really are rainmakers for their organizations, whether people want to use that term or not personally. Uh, so, you know, and we thought, you know, there's, there's really no better title to get a book noticed than something like that. Um, and, and turns out we were right. We've had great reception for that book. It's, it's in the hands of over 5,000 nonprofit uh, fundraisers yeah. and leaders these days. So um, it, it worked out pretty well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I love the, you know, just in terms of people bringing revenue in on a consistent basis. One of the things, one of the things I love, one of our, the organization I used to work for, one of our board members would say, you know, from the the business world, there's a saying that nothing, nothing happens until a sale is made. And same, I mean, it's just such a simple concept, but it's true. Like, you literally cannot do anything in your nonprofit if, no money comes in. And obviously there's like, we could talk about, well, if you have a hundred percent volunteer staff and sure, but in real world things, like if you don't raise money, nothing happens. Yeah. I mean, Um, to your point, you can have all volunteer, you know, program and things like that. You can't scale. mm -hmm. Right. So whatever your issue is, you know, um, you can't cure cancer on an all volunteer committee. You can't end homelessness on an all volunteer committee. You know, it's just, it's not possible. So if we want to solve big problems, we've got to have big vision that, that results. If you ask correctly um, and build those relationships correctly, that results in, in large revenue generation. Right. Um, And and so I'm with you, you know, the other, the other mantra that we often use uh, is sales cures all and, and fundraising (laughs) to a great extent is very similar to that. Yes. So it's funny. <laughs> so we were talking about uh, sometimes uh, using some of our content to, to stir the pot online. And <laughs> one thing I have thought of posting on LinkedIn, but I haven't gotten the courage to because <laughs> I know it would just uh, make too many people angry is, is posting. I don't know what the question is, but I do know what the answer is: more sales. <laughs> I that's a great that's a great statement, and I love it. I'm going to steal it now. <laughs> so now that we've uh, finished our uh, <clears throat> joking about these important topics, let's get into it. So you talked about you know when you when you make asks the right way, it can lead to to big gifts. I think one of the stories you wanted to share was an ask that maybe you didn't make in the best way and it did not lead to the outcome you desired. So there's a couple of those that I was thinking I'd share with you that I'll, I'll tell you the first story really is about the first ask that I ever made. Right. <clears throat> so I was, was working at a children's hospital and wasn't even really responsible for what you would consider major gift fundraising. You know, we, we had a staff for that. I was really focused on the, you know, what the hospital called the annual fund. So it's donors who are giving, you know, a dollar, up to like, say, ten or $15,000, you know, uh, and that's kind of where the major gift floor started, if you will. So I had uh, this one donor. She was, uh, she's an executive at one of the major insurance uh, firms, the global insurance firm. Um, you know, from, from the wealth data that we had access to on paper, she, you know, it looked like we could have asked her for a lot of money, right? So, uh, you know, this is first time I'd ever done this. I, you know, ne- never, never made a, a face-to-face ask before, um, you know, done face-to-face sales plenty of times, 
but but not a fundraising ask. So I, you know, and I knew her, I wouldn't say incredibly well. We had we'd known each other a little bit socially and a little bit, you know, in the industry. And I knew that she was interested in supporting the hospital. She'd toured. She, you know, we'd had some conversations about the work that uh, that the hospital did, and and she she clearly expressed interest, right? So I I took all the the wealth data that we had and everything I knew about her corporate experience and and her role, <clears throat> and we, you know, we we looked at it on on paper and we said, okay, this this donor uh, has the capacity to give you know a ten thousand dollar gift, so. You know, stupid me, first time out. I'm like, okay, well, if that's what the data says, I like to trust the data, you know. Um, data is typically the one thing that doesn't lie, and except in cases like this. Uh, and, and so I, I went out and, uh, you know, scheduled a, a visit with her, uh, actually did it at the hospital so that we could do a, a tour. I could let her see some of the, the new programming and, and, and some of the kids in the hospital and stuff like that. And then we sat down and had a conversation about a, a gift commitment. And I, I went ahead and asked her for a, a commitment of $10,000. And she sat back in her chair and I thought she was going to pass out. You know, and, and, and she said to me, she said, well, I'm flattered that you think I have that kind of money. But let me tell you what's going on in my world. So she proceeded to tell me that, you know, she had one child who was in college at the time and she, she's a single mom. She's floating the bill for that, you know, college experience. And then she had another, uh, older child who had just moved back in with her, um, after a failed business or something. And so she yeah. said, you know, as much as I would love to give you $10,000, I'm paying still for both of my grown children. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm a a single parent, so it, it, you know, everything that I have has to be focused on how do I take care of the family? Yeah. Ultimately she made a commitment for a thousand dollars, which is still a wonderfully generous gift. Um, but the learning, the big learning for me in that instance, well, it's twofold. One is Mm -hmm. you, you should always trust the data, but don't always trust the data. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, and, and the importance of, um, you know, going deeper and having more uh, in-depth qualification conversations with donors, right? Not yeah. simply saying, okay, we've had some conversations and I see what this donor, you know, what their likely capacity is based on, you know, wealth appended data and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. really getting an understanding from that donor of where they are in life and what's going on in their world and how that influences their, both their desire to be philanthropic, but also their capacity to do so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's so true. I think the, uh, <clears throat> it's funny. I think I can't remember. It wasn't my first ask, but it was, I think it was the first time I ever asked for a $10,000 gift. Same thing came back at a thousand. Um, and you know, cause it was all about just like, eh, you look like you're rich. Here we go. <laughs> and, uh, and, but I think that, you know, that thing about trusting the data, like, there's so many things that data can't tell us like circumstance, you know, which you discovered in that, in that experience. And it reminds me of one of the things I think data definitely has a place. Um, and to me, in terms of major gifts, it has a lot in my mind, it has more to do with if you've got to sift through 30,000 people in a database, how do we prioritize? Like, but in terms of, you know, I, one example I always go to is we we did a wealth screening once and there was, you know, some dude that worked at Texas Instruments here in Dallas 
then, you know, he's just like a, just like a dude that, <laughs> you know, makes $80,000 a year or something and works at Texas Instruments. But when you looked at his wealth rating, it said like $50 million plus net worth. And so I was like, whoa. And I'm like looking through this stuff. And then I, I see the reason is they have taken the address of the building he works in oh. and said that, oh, well, he must own this building. So right. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many instances like that. I was doing a, uh, I was building a, por- a set of portfolios for a, an organization like a year or so ago. And I, I came back to them. I said, look, you've got these two constituents that, um, that show on paper that they're billionaires. What's the relationship you have with them? And it was, oh, you know, they looked through the data, they said, oh, we don't have any billionaires. And then they looked and they said, oh, wait a minute. We have, we do know who those people are. This person came to an event as a guest of so-and-so who's on our board, but is not interested in what we do, right? This other person is highly interested and they've actually directed their family foundation to give us, you know, something like $700,000 in the last two years, right? So, I mean, you know, the the distinction there is you you could be chasing both of those, right? Trying to get on their radar, trying to, to get a meeting, you know, and, you know, for, you, for somebody like you or I to pick up the phone and make a call and secure a meeting with a donor who has the capacity of $10,000 looks a whole lot different than getting in front of someone who's got a billion dollars of capacity, right? The, the layers of gatekeepers are exponential as, as the number of zeros on your capacity go up. Um, so, you know, for them, the fact that they had a connection to both was valuable. And that, you know, kudos to the development director who said, who knew, hey, one of these is a real opportunity. One of them is just a record that's taken up space in the database at this point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And, and one thing I'll, uh, I'll comment on the, so in terms of one of the things I encounter is sometimes people will say things like, oh yeah, well, this person's not interested. And they might think that because of some reason other than the benefactor actually told them I'm not interested. Like you could take, well, they were at the event and they didn't give a gift, so they're not interested. That kind of thing. So a, yeah, maybe just, your ass just stunk at the event. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or I mean, sometimes like uh, some people know I'm a Dave Ramsey fan. And one of the things he talks about, like he was on his podcast recently i mean the dude is just one of the buildings that he recently built was 70 million dollars that he paid cash for and you know their business does over 250 million in sales annually the dude's really freaking rich and he and his wife have a rule he talked about because of the mangled financial past they used to have they still to this day do not spend more than 500 dollars without talking to the other one and so like like some people have rules like that. I haven't, some of the people, you know, at events I've spoken at who didn't give, I go meet with them afterwards and, you know, ask them like, Hey, I noticed you didn't, you didn't give anything. Like what, like, why was that? Because, because they'll tell me like they loved the event. You know, it's just, just, I'm curious, like what, why did you not give a gift? And many times it's, Oh, well, because my spouse wasn't there and we don't make decisions without talking to the other. And it can be that simple. Yeah. I mean, the other one I run into a lot is that you're just not the top priority, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, there was a, when I was at the hospital, there there was another family. I mean, by all indications, ultra high net worth. 
the the single owner of one of the largest privately held insurance companies in the country, um, a co-owner of one of the uh, mo- most uh, prestigious uh, professional sports franchises in the country, right? Like these people have a ton of wealth, right? And uh, and their child had had been treated at the hospital. So we invited them to an event and, and were, you know, they, they were the honorary uh, invitee for the event. They, they flew to the event in their private jet, right? So you're getting, you're getting a context of all the trappings, right? Um, they had an entourage of like nine people that showed up. And one of those people was the child's physician from the hospital in the community where they live the not so subtle indication of that, of that is this is where our priority lies. Right. So they would regularly write a $10,000 check in response to the print newsletter that we sent them on a, I don't know, quarterly basis or something like that. But when it came to sitting down and having a conversation about, you know, their philanthropy and, and their interest or not interest in uh, investing more in our institution, they wouldn't even take a meeting. You know, and and eventually someone said, you know, yes, you've done great work. Uh, our child has been helped because of, of your institution. But our priority is this other hospital in our neighborhood where our child gets care like every day. Right. And, and so because of that, you know, we're grateful to accept your award. It's important for our child to, to be engaged in that and, and be celebrated. But you will never be our top priority. You know, yeah, and and, and that's mm-hmm. fine. Like th- this is one of the reasons too that I, one of the things that I have learned so much from sales is the idea of having a full pipeline. Because what I see, what I see all the time with with so many fundraisers is like that guy that you just described is their one opportunity, and so it's like this has to work. And then we start, we just start doing stupid things. We start being aggressive or we start just like, I don't know, just doing things that are not in any way helping them move forward. When if we had 20 other significant opportunities in the pipeline, we could just say, thanks so much for sharing that with me. And yeah, that sounds like a wonderful strategy. I'm excited for you to be able to help out your, your hospital. That's what you can do. When you've got a full pipeline, you can't do that when that's your one person. Absolutely. I mean, that, that brings up another story. Um, so uh, again, you know, this same institution, we were, we were working on a capital campaign and it was, a, you know, if I remember correctly, I think it was like an eight or a $12 million campaign. So, you know, in the grand scheme of hospital capital campaigns, not large. Right. It's not a $50 million, $100 million, something like that, but still pretty significant for this institution. And, and they didn't have a large pipeline at all, right? Of, of major or legacy gift donors. Um, and there was one donor, and, and she, you know, she had been a, a donor probably for a decade or so, right? And annually, she'd probably give about $50,000, right? Um, she was the heir to a major, um, privately held company fortune, you know, in in the 10 figures or larger kind of space. Right. So everyone was kind of like, Oh, she's going to be the lead donor to this campaign. 
she loves us. She gives us $50,000 a year without asking. I mean, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? So, and I, I wasn't involved in the, in the actual solicitation process, um, just in the planning and, and, you know, staging kind of, uh, back end. But, um, you know, so the, the day came, they, they reached out. She said, yes, I'll take a meeting. You know, I think they went and played around a golf together. Uh, and then, uh, the solicitor took her to, uh, to lunch, uh, after that and was, was going to make his ask there. And based on everything we knew, again, trusting the data and trusting even the relationship, uh, or the background, um, the ask was, uh, that she would be the, you know, the lead donor and, and she would give, you know, the, the I think the ask was going to be somewhere between three and $5 million. It was a significant ask. Right. And, uh, and she just straight up politely declined and and said, you know, I've been giving $50,000 a year. Nobody's ever really asked me why. And here's the thing you need to know. You're not my top priority. My priority is, and it was something completely different, right? Um, she said, but my husband really loved you guys. He's passed, you know, years ago. Um, I, I've been continuing to give just in his memory, but this has caused me to rethink things and I I'm going to still give, but I'm only going to give 10,000 a year from now on. So not only was she not the lead gift in that campaign, but she significantly reduced her annual investment based on that experience. Right. So that's another learning and, and clear, you know, issue and, and ended up, that we closed that campaign without completing it. Right. So we, we ended up having to take money out of reserves to, to fund that, uh, that expansion um, because the pipeline had maybe a half dozen people in it rather than having, you know, significantly more than that. So that to your point, when someone says, this isn't my thing, we can move on to the next uh, donor and, and not have a, an issue. We yeah. clearly didn't have that preparation done. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and that's I was just having a conversation this morning with some uh <clears throat> some some folks, some board members of a an organization here who uh I was just giving them some advice as they're trying to kind of start out fundraising and yeah, that's one of the things I always start with is, you know, asking people why have they given to your organization in the past. And that I mean, that just <laughs> illustrates it so clearly. Like if you so many times we just assume, oh, they give because of this reason or that reason. And and again, unless we hear it from their mouths, we're just we're in the dark. And so, yeah, man, starting with that question could have uh, could have changed things significantly there. Totally. You know, it's really interesting because she like like she said, she'd been giving for years. Right. Yeah. And that the fact that no one ever stopped to say, what is it about what we do that that's important to you? Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's kind of fascinating. It's unfortunate. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it, it's tough to, uh, that's the difficult thing to balance is like we, most of the time when we go to work for a nonprofit, it's cause we're crazy passionate about whatever the thing is and we want that to succeed so much. So it's so easy as fundraisers to just like talk, 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 listen, listen, listen to how awesome we are. And, um, and you know, most of the time we're not intentionally uh, being jerks, but that's how it can come across. Is like, man, like 
15 years, nobody's ever even asked me why I do this or yeah. why it matters. And yeah, that's unfortunate. You know, I was, I was in a mastermind group about a year and a half ago. It was right before COVID hit. And uh, it was an interesting group. It was, uh, it was chief development officers and high net worth donors and, and um, finance professionals. Right. So it was this really dynamic group of people who kind of sit on three sides of the table, if you will. Right. And one of the gentlemen who is a he's a business owner, a serial entrepreneur, a really great guy. And he was talking about how he had been um, uh, engaging with this charity in his community and they'd wanted to get in front of him for, I don't know, a year or two. And they, they kept asking him and he never felt like it was right. And finally, he said, OK, I'll, I'll take a meeting. Right. And he had done his research. He'd looked at everything that they were doing and he knew what he wanted to invest in. So they got in front of him and, uh, and they went into their pitch. Right. So to your point about talking and talking and not listening, you know, they, it was the chief development officer and the executive director. And so for an hour or half an hour, you know, they outlined everything that they were, you know, they were felt was important. They opened their little booklet and they said, we'd like you to become a, I don't know, whatever the name of their society was, right? And it was like a $1,500 gift, right? Now, this guy could write a quarter million dollar check and not bat an eye. Uh, and, and he, you know, he said, okay, that's, that's nice. I'm not interested in that. I would like to give you $15,000 and I'd like it to go to this program. Mm. And they went back and forth for a few minutes. They never said thank you. <laughs> uh, and they walked away un, unsettled. And, and he said, that was like six or eight months ago. They've never followed up with me since. Oh they, they've never called or sent a, 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 any kind of fulfillment document oh so that I could gosh. give a gift. Yeah. And, and so he said, the only thing I'm left to think about is I think that I, what I wanted to do didn't fit their preconceived expectation of where they – like they wanted one more member of that society. Yeah. And I didn't want to be a member of that society. And I wanted my money to do this other thing, which – is a priority of theirs. Um, but you know, it didn't fit the box that they were trying to put him in. And, and so he's like six or eight months gone by. They never even called me back. Wow. And I thought, (laughs) wow, you know, to, to go through all the motions to get a meeting with a guy and and spend, you know, another six or eight months to get that meeting, make a ask like that. He says, no, I'm going to actually want to give you 10 times what you asked me for. And then to not follow up, like what the heck? (laughs) oh man yeah that's uh that's no good that's (laughs) the only thing i can think of is they were i don't know maybe they they were going to get some bonus if they finished out their uh their quota on memberships or who knows that's yeah i I don't know i mean the only other thing i i threw out there was well Given the turnover cycle in nonprofits, maybe the chief development <laughs> officer's gone. Who knows? You know, <laughs> that's very possible. Man, yeah. what a shame! Yeah, it was. It was. Okay, well, let's see. You got some. You got some other ones on here. Let's see. Uh, all right, you're talking about one listening your way to a legacy gift. Yeah. So this one was was really fun. So I, this was within the 
probably my first year of working at the hospital, you know, and I would, I would go through our transaction reports every day and look for donors who, you know, made a, a large gift in the context of direct mail. Right. Um, and then I'd call and just, you know, thank them, ask a few questions about why they support us. So the things we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. And so there was this one woman and what I noticed was, you know, she, the threshold we had was if you gave a $500 gift, we would call and, and, you know, thank you personally. Yeah. What I noticed was she, she never gave a $500 gift, but she would give a $250 gift to everything we sent her. Hmm. So if I send her, if I were to send her a direct mail package today, she'd give to that, send $250. Three days later, when she got the receipt letter, the, the acknowledgement letter, yeah. she would send another gift in response to that. And it was like this, this <laughs> never ending cycle kept happening. And so I started looking at it and I'm like, wait a minute, this woman is giving three to $5,000 a year in $250 increments. So she's never hitting a trigger for yeah. a, uh, a frontline fundraiser to pick up the phone and engage with her, anything like that. I called her and I, I just, you know, I, I said, I'm Andrew Olson. I'm calling from this hospital. I, I'm calling simply to thank you for your incredibly generous giving. And it was dead silent for a minute. And so I, I said her name again. I said, are, are you still there? Did I, have I lost you? And she said, I was just waiting for what you're going to ask for. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, I'm not going to ask for anything. I, like, really? I'm calling to say thank you. I said, I'm looking yes. at your giving record and you've been incredibly generous to us just to, even in the last six months. I um, tell me a little bit about why you do this. Mm. And, and so she shared with me that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, her husband years ago had been a patient at the hospital. And he'd passed since, um, since then. And so, you know, she was just passionate about the cause and, and grateful for, um, the fact that we had cared for him over, you know, his, his childhood and things like that. And, and as we're getting a little bit further into the conversation, she says to me, you know, I've, I've had talks like this with another organization and it's a very well-known organization that if I said it, everybody would know who they are. Um, she said, they called me. And told me that they were just calling to say thank you. And then about the third time they called to say thank you, they asked for something else. And she said, they kept pushing me and they kept wanting me to come meet with them or they wanted to have coffee in my house. She said, I don't want people in my house. You know? And so I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm simply, you know, I just want to say thank you. That's, that's yeah. it. And, and I want to know what we can do to better serve you. Yeah. And so she said to me, well, one of the reasons I give you so many gifts is that I'm old and all my friends are old and we're all dying off. And so every time one of my friends dies, I give gifts to you instead of sending flowers or giving gifts to somewhere else. She said, so what you can do for me is you can send me a stack of envelopes so I don't have to wait until you send me mail and I can just mm -hmm. send you my gifts in, in, in those envelopes. Yeah. So I, I thanked her. I said, absolutely. I'll, I'll send you a box of envelopes, as many as you'd like, right? Yeah. I don't know how many friends she had at yeah, that I point. Know. I wasn't sure you know, what the context was here. <laughs> but uh, you know, she said to me, she said, I need you to tell your other people, you know, those, those, those high-dollar fundraising people, that if they ever call me and ask me to meet with them, I'm never going to give to you again. Hmm. And I said, you know, 
Noted. I will put that in your record right now. I will tell the entire team. I said, we just want to be able to call and, and celebrate with you and share stories yeah. of the, the kids that whose lives you're impacting. And, and she, said, she said, here's the deal. That other organization, they didn't listen to me and I took them out of my will because of it. So I'm going to put you guys in my will. But if anybody ever calls and asks me to meet, you're out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was a fascinating conversation and and learning experience. You know, I, I think oftentimes to your earlier point about us wanting to tell our stories and how great the organization is particularly for, for fundraisers who many of us are people pleasers, you know, we, we just assume that everybody wants to talk to us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and there's a certain class of, of people who want to support the work who just don't want to, don't want to meet people, don't want to hang out, yeah. you know, don't want to become friends. And, and she was, she was in that class, incredibly generous, put the organization in her uh, estate plan. I, I don't know if she's passed or not since, but it's been about a decade since I was there. Um, but, you know, she was crystal clear, like you're in now, but yeah. the one thing you can do to screw this up is asking me for money, you know, for more money or trying to meet with me. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that is awesome. I love, so my first comment just has to do with the, yeah, you were just calling to thank her. And that is, that is one of the things like I and one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is because I used to do it all the time is I would do the oh, I'm just calling to thank you. And then I'm going to weasel my way into uh, asking sure. you for something else. <laughs> like when <laughs> one of my one of my rules is one thing at a time. Like if yep. you're calling somebody to thank them, just call them to thank them. Like, yeah, because because that that's it is everybody they do exactly what that woman did. It's like, okay, what do they really want? Yep. Because nobody just calls people just to thank them. And so For when sure. you do that, like you're forever in a different class of, uh, of fundraisers in their mind. Yeah. It's, it's really sad to me that, you know, the majority of our sector exists in two spaces. It's either I never call to say thank you at all. Um, or, I only call when I want something and I try to sandwich it between a thank you and a thank you at, you know, what start in the end so that you feel good about it. Right. Right. Um, Rather than simply calling and building relationship. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, man. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's one of the things that I, an organization I've been speaking with that like might become a client of mine one day, they, they weren't in a place to, you know, move forward with a conversation because they just had a lot of other stuff going on. But I was just like, hey, I want to give you some quick homework. When's the last time? I was like, you've probably got somebody. It's a smaller organization. I was like, you probably got somebody that's like clearly your largest donor of all time, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's know exactly who that is. I was like, when's the last time you've called him just to thank him? I've never done it. I was like, all right, that's your homework. Like, just call him. To, and just say, hey, like I'm just calling you because I was thinking about our development efforts, efforts, and I just realized how much you've given over the years, and I just wanted to call to say thank you. No one gets those calls. They don't. You know, it's interesting to me, and I, I think I tick off so many executive directors with this statement. People will, you know, when I sit down to to advise a, a client or a potential client, I almost always get the question, something like, what are the new hot things in the industry that we should be doing? <laughs> and I start with, why don't you call your donors? 
Yeah. And everybody's like, that's not new. Okay. Well, <laughs> when's the last time you did it? And I get yeah. the same answer. Like in, until we're doing the fundamentals, well, let's not go thinking about how we can recreate the ice bucket challenge or what new app we can create to not engage directly with people. Right. Um, if we really want to move the needle on transformational giving, it has to be face to face, you know, COVID things aside in person over zoom over the phone, it's got to be human to human. Um, but so few people are prepared to actually take that leap. Uh, that's why I love listening to your show because it's all about how do you get in that door? How do you take that first step to start the relationship? Because that's where most of this fails, right? It's not that when you, it's not that when a, uh, a fundraiser or a board member or a CEO is in front of a donor, they don't know how to have a conversation for the most part. It's that people are scared to death to take the first step to try to get that meeting. Yes. And, and, and that is it. And that is, that's why I focus this on so much because I think, I think I had it as much, if not more than anybody else. Like, I mean, when I was first getting started, like, I'm not exaggerating. I would literally, I would know there's someone who I needed to call for some reason. And I would literally just pace in my office for sometimes 30 minutes trying to get up the courage to dial the number. Because that, like, once you dial that number, you have no idea what's going to happen. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that call avoidance and call reluctance is real. For, yeah. for everybody who says that fundraising and sales aren't alike, this is one of the places where they're alike, right? Yes. Um, the number of salespeople who are like, oh, I had to update my spreadsheets or I had to fill out my expenses or I had to do this or that. All of those things take away from the time that you spend on the phone with people, right? Yes. And the same thing happens in a nonprofit organization. I can remember you know, having conversations during uh, uh, prospect management meetings you know, in our shop where, where we would say like, okay, well, what's the status on these five donors knowing that these five donors could basically make our year. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and hearing things like, Oh, well I was, you know, picking out the napkins for the event. So I didn't have time to call them or, you know, I had to go tour the venue for the thing that's going to happen yes. six months yes. from now, you know, all these excuses that are, um, you know, necessary activities but not the most important, highest value things that we should be doing, right? Right. And all of, so much of that, not all of it, but so much of that is tied up in just the general fear of being rejected or, or feeling like, you know, the, the person knows that you don't know something or, or, I mean, all those, you know, psychological dynamics that go into, that come into play in those, in, in those respects, but I mean, it, it happens so frequently, right? And, and so, and so, this is the thing that you know, comparing sales to fundraising. One of the reasons I think so many fundraisers struggle to do the like, yeah, they're always busy doing something, but it's not the things that put money in the bank. And and when you're in sales, <clears throat> especially like you're a hundred percent commission. I mean, like me, 100% of my income right now that my family depends on comes because I close deals. That's it. And so if I don't do that, like bad things happen. If you don't do that as a fundraiser, 
you can sit around for five years in some places before the board or before the executive director goes, you know what? Bob really has been like, he's always busy, but he doesn't do anything to make money come in the door. And then it's another two years of them sitting around talking about, we should probably have a conversation with Bob to see if he can, you know, get it together. And then, I mean, there are literally, there are professional fundraisers who sit in six figure positions sometimes for years losing money for an organization because there's not this there's not this immediate pain of not doing the scary thing that puts yeah. money in the bank you know this is one of the things that pisses me off the most about this <laughs> sector and it comes from a place that contextually speaking you know, I do a lot of work uh, with homeless service organizations, with hunger relief organizations. As a kid, my family was dirt poor, right? So I've lived a lot of this, and my mission in, in life is to make sure other families don't suffer that way. So yeah. when I see that kind of laziness and inefficiency in an organization, it just gets under my skin. Uh, yes. I, I remember there was a, a food bank. I actually wrote about this in my most recent book, The 101 Mistakes. Um, there, there's a chapter about this. And there's an organization uh, that I, I love the organization. They do great work. <clears throat> they had a fundraiser who uh, he's a you know, major gift officer. We came in and did some analysis for them and looked back five years and could not find a single gift that was yep. sourced back to <laughs> him actually making an ask. Yeah. And again, six figure salary, yep. um, taking up a hundred percent of the major gift salary line. And what would happen was when a big gift just came in organically, he would take it and put his name on it in the CRM, right? So that all of a sudden he had this revenue pipeline. Yeah. But could not tell you a thing about those donors. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it took two different consulting firms coming in and laying it bare before the organization was ready to pull the trigger and make a change. Right. Yes. And, you know, part of that is that, this industry is abysmally conflict diverse, right? Yep. There is such a desire to treat people well, which I totally appreciate. Yes. But we can't let the desire to treat people well um, remove the necessity to actually deliver on mission. Yes. And I think a, organizations make a huge mistake when they choose nice over effective. Yes. Yes. And, we do not exist to right, keep Bob right. happy. We exist to bring people out of homelessness. The, the challenge that I always put to people is what's more important to you? If you're a hunger relief organization, is it more important to you to not have a hard accountability conversation with Jim Yeah. or to look in the eyes of the beneficiaries that you serve and say, we don't have enough today because we're not willing to hold Jim accountable. Yes. Like if you're yes. not going to honestly answer that question, you should get out of this sector. Yes. Please. Opinion. Please. Yeah. And this is yeah, I am so with you. I have I have spent so much time uh just like working to end these types of situations because it is just infuriating. And yeah. that thing you're talking about, so th this is what I'll bring it back to for our listeners to so like okay, so I talked about what is it what is it that motivates the salesperson to succeed? Yes, there's there's the income part, but I, to me, that's more of a if I don't do this, this happens. Many like the greatest salespeople 
are motivated because they want to impact, you know, some change in the world. Yeah. And this is this is what the nonprofit fundraiser needs to appreciate. It's like, sure, you might just be on a salary and it doesn't matter what you do. Like you're not going to lose or gain income in the next 12 months, maybe. But think about whoever it is, that beneficiary. They need to be the ones that are that is on your mind that's telling you, I don't want to make this phone call. But I'm going to do it anyway, because that person, that person that doesn't have a house that's going to sleep in the freezing cold, doesn't care that I'm a little scared to pick up the phone. Yeah. And so th- that that's what I want to bring out in people. hundred percent. You know, I think the other place where where some accountability lies for this is is boards and the C-suite in organizations. Right. So I. There's another organization that, again, I'm not going to name them, but I'll tell you they they regularly rank in the top ten of the Chronicles' top 100 charities, right? So they yeah. are they're a mega brand in the yeah. space. And I was I was sitting down with one of their uh, chief development officers at, at one of their um, sort of regional affiliates, and and he shared with me that they were going to miss their fundraising target by like seven million dollars, right? <laughs> so that's not a rounding error, right? Um, and, and I said, well, like, what's going to happen when you miss it by $7 million? Because where I come from, we lay off half our company if we miss yeah. a sales target by something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, oh, nothing. They'll just take it out of reserves and, uh, and, and then we'll move on. Yeah. And I said, well, how do you know? Are you, you going to get fired? And he's like, no, it's about every three or four years. Something like this happens. And I thought, holy crap, like what in what world that kind of approach to business? Okay. You know, and and I get, you know, not firing people if they make a mistake, right? I I don't want to create this culture where people feel like they have to fear coming to work and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we have to hold each other accountable, right? And we have to say, look, if we were going to spend that $7 million on program, that's a huge hole, right? Yeah. And, and so if we're not doing the things that lead to those gifts, and in that case, the things that lead to those gifts, we're making the calls and getting the visits and presenting the opportunities to close a gift, right? Yeah. This was not that the direct mail program was down by $7 million or the email program was down by $7 million. This was all the major gift pipeline. Yeah. So, you know, if... If we're not doing that work effectively and no one in the C-suite or the board is holding people accountable for that, shame on them. That board ought to resign and that C-suite ought to be removed. Um, but there's, again, there, there's, there's these cultural impediments to managing a P&L effectively in a lot of these organizations um, and I don't think it comes from any kind of nefarious, like they're doing anything illegal or they're they're trying to design a program that lacks accountability or anything like that. I think a lot of it's habitual. You know, it's just this is the way we've always done it. Um, or and or one of the one of the other, maybe both. Um, it, a lot of it comes back to that issue of like, well, we don't, you know, we don't want to be harsh with people. We don't want to, you know, you know, hold people to, you know, what we might feel are unrealistic standards. You know, or on the other side of it, I mean, like if we're not going to hold them accountable, let's stop asking donors for money then because we clearly don't need it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the other thing. Like 
Yeah, in terms of you know people not performing, you've got the you've got the beneficiary side what they're losing out of, right? But you've also got like people aren't giving you a hundred thousand dollars to fund essentially someone's retirement. I've right. like a few times I've I've viewed certain things as like this person's just retired. <laughs> like, yeah, they're they're not doing anything to advance the mission but they cash their paycheck and you know have a good time um but that's not (laughs) that's not what they're trying to achieve with their philanthropy um sure agreed so yeah man we uh we'll post that on our uh rants from uh from one visit away but okay man there's two here that that seem Super intriguing. One is the disastrous selfish ask. You might have yeah. already told that one of someone else. And then you've got the nonprofit board meeting you threw yourself out of. <laughs> yeah. So let me tell the disastrous ask first. So this is, <laughs> I, I did not have anything to do with this ask. Um, I, I learned about this from a, a friend of mine who um, runs a nonprofit now. Uh, she's, she's pretty amazing. I'm not going to name, I'm not going to name her because people can get back and understand. No, don't know who this is about, but she was a consultant at the time and she was, um, she was advising and coaching, uh, a chief development officer in a regional, you know, nonprofit organization. And, uh, you know, she'd been doing this for probably the better part of a year and, they were just having so many challenges with their major gift program. They had plenty of donors and their donors had plenty of capacity. Right. Um, and, and they were in a part of the world where it was sort of, you know, kind of everybody knows everybody, not a, not a small town, but not a major metropolitan. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it wasn't hard to look across the space and to know, okay, these are the, you know, the community's top 25 donors kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All of those donors were supporters of the organization, but none of them were giving more than what I would consider like a tip gift. Right. Yeah. yeah so yeah, they yeah. might write you a hundred dollar check. Right? Yeah. Maybe they'd even write you a $500 check, but these are the kind of people who could write you a $5,000 check and not bad an eye. Right. Yeah. So there was this one particular donor who was, you know, very high net worth, very interested in what they do, super committed. They had talked to him from time to time about potentially coming on the boards. I mean, that's how close to the organization he was, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and and they had decided that based on everything they knew and all of his interests and conversations they'd had with him, they were going to ask him for a quarter million dollars. Not an insignificant ask, right? Yeah. So, so my friend who was the consultant, she was, uh, she was prepping this development officer and coaching her and, and, you know, helping her, um, uh, role play and game plan the conversation, all that kind yeah. of stuff. And, uh, and so, you know, that the chief development officer went off on her way, met with the donor, made the ask, came back and told, told my, my colleague and my friend, oh, it was, it was just disastrous. It was terrible. And he said, no, and, and I don't know what I'm going to do now. There's this huge hole in our, in our revenue for the year. I just don't know, you know, how we're going to make this up. And so my friend was like, well, I thought we prepared really well for that. Like, tell me what happened. Talk to me about like, like where, what did he object to? Where, where do we go from here essentially? Right. And, and so the, the development officer starts to recount the story and says, you know, 
I'm going to call the guy Dan because I don't know his name. Yeah. Hope it wasn't Dan. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, basically the ask came down to Dan, you know, I know you're committed to our work. Things are really tough right now. And if you could just write me a check for $250,000 right now, <laughs> that would mean that I'd hit my goal for the year and it would really take the pressure off of me for a while. <laughs> and, and, you know, so my friend is recounting this to me after the fact and my eyeballs are just like popping out of my head and, and she's like, I know, can you believe it? <laughs> you know? So, um, oh, yeah, man. I, I mean, I, I know exactly why it didn't work. Um, and, and I think my, my colleague knows exactly why it didn't work and judging from your laughter, you know. But it was, um, and it was if you could just throw in an extra fifty thousand, because I could use a new SUV, that, <laughs> right, you know, that would make right. my life better too. Um, and so I, you know, that's one of those ones where I mean, God bless this poor lady. I I don't know what was going on in her life and how how she got from all that coaching to that ask. But um, it's it's one for the record books, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know that I've ever heard an ask quite like it before. <laughs> um, but I know exactly why it didn't work. Right? Indeed. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think we need much explanation, but if anyone's wondering, uh, <laughs> usually uh, describing how terrible things are is uh, <laughs> is not a good place to start. Also, uh, talking about how much it would make our lives better. <laughs> right, right, right. Take the pressure <laughs> off me. My boss will stop asking me about our revenue if you just give this gift. You know. You know, if actually. If you could just come to all of our uh, all of our annual budget planning meetings and just agree to whatever the number is, like right, right. we'd love that. Yeah, yeah. In fact, why don't you just give me access to all your money, and uh, you don't even have to do anything. Seriously, yeah. Just just give us a pipeline into your bank account. We'll take care of it. We'll write ourselves a check. <laughs> we'll take over your investments. I hear Dogecoin's doing great. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, um, let's. We're coming up on an hour here, but let's. Yeah. Get, I want to get this uh, the board meeting you threw yourself out of. Yeah. Okay. So this one, I this is when I was on the consulting side of the world. I uh, I was, uh, and I, I still do a lot of work with um, with homeless shelters and rescue missions all across the, the country. I was I was um, at a conference and I was approached by an executive director and his board chairman. Right. And, and, you know, when, when you are selling professional services, like, like I was uh, into a nonprofit organization, there's really no better scenario than an executive director and a board chair sitting down with you because then, you know, there's alignment, right? So we had a great hour long conversation at this conference. And then they said, you know, as a next step, we'd like to invite you out to um, present this to the to our full board because we want to move forward. We want to start working with you uh, to do our direct response fundraising. So I said, great. <clears throat> you know, when do you want me there? I'll, I'll show up whenever you want. So we agreed on a date. Um, I did the prep work. I built a presentation for them. I sent it to them in, in advance and said, I want you guys to take a look at this. Tell me if there's anything that you think uh, the board would want to see differently or anything yeah. you want to change something in here that concerns you, whatever it is, right? <clears throat> no, no, it's all great. Just show up on, you know, next Wednesday. Yeah. So I packed my bags, flew out to, to their city and, uh, you know, went to meet them. And we met in the, um, 
in the dining room of the shelter. It's probably about 3 p.m., you know, before the evening meal where they'd be feeding yeah. people. And so I got there. I, you know, I was there with the executive director and the, the board chair. We had a great little chit chat before the meeting. Board members started coming in and there was, you know, two or three tables put together. There's probably 20 chairs around for this board meeting. <clears throat> and, um, you know, as the room was filling up, I noticed there were three or four empty chairs and I, I just turned to the, the board chair and I said, you, would you like me to start this uh, discussion or are we going to wait for whoever's going to fill those chairs? Yeah. And he said, no, 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 it's getting a little late. You know, we want to be respectful of the, the meal time that's coming ahead of us. So just go ahead and start. They'll fill in when they get here. Yeah. So I, you know, started, started my shtick, started talking to everybody and, and presenting, you know, giving some context for why I was there, what our company do, does and, um, and why, you know, the conversation we were having. So um, as I'm, I'm probably, I don't know, two or three slides into my PowerPoint presentation and three board members walk in the door and I can tell from the looks on their faces that they are not going to be friendly. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I notice out of the corner of my eye that they all have a printed copy of my presentation. <laughs> so what I had not anticipated is that they were going to send, you know, the, the board chair was going to send it out to everyone in advance. Yeah. Not that there was anything like shocking in it, right? It's very basic, like credentials presentation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just hadn't been prepared for that. <laughs> so there, there was a point in the presentation at which, you know, I said something like, uh, you know, our company does what we do so that you can serve more homeless people and, 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 you know, introduce them to, um, to faith in, in Jesus and yeah. get an opportunity to get off the streets. And one of the board members who'd walked in late stood up, took my presentation and threw it on the table and papers just scattered everywhere. <laughs> and he, he screamed at me and he's like, you're a liar. <laughs> and I just back up a little bit. And I said, I'm sorry. And he says, you do what you do to make money and don't try to hide that from us. Oh, so I, I said, gosh. yeah, you're absolutely right. Like we are a for-profit company. Um, we, we do need to make money. It's how we all live. But it doesn't negate the fact that we're committed to the ministry, right? Like we yeah. could all be out selling beer and potato chips, right? Yeah. We're, we're all, yeah. We all come from advertising. We, we could all be doing that still and probably make more money, right? Yeah. yeah. We've chosen this path because we believe in the work. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> and so he sat down and I thought, okay, you know, I, I've, I've hit a nerve. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. <laughs> so uh, my so fee I has going. just doubled <laughs> yeah, right uh, I, I kept going I got probably two or three more slides in and one of the other board members who came late looks at the executive director and says why is this guy even here why can't you do this work yourself and the executive director said to him uh, I, I, I do everything like I'm I lead the ministry I'm doing the major gift fundraising I run the events Oh, an important point of context that I forgot at the start, the executive director's wife was also in the room because she was the administrative assistant and she was there to take notes. Yeah. So, you know, I, I naively chimed in and said, you know, something like part of our responsibility is to do this kind of stuff that you all can't do so that you can do the stuff that only you can do. Right. Yeah. And, and that just made it worse. 
And <laughs> and uh, this same board member uh, just started hammering the executive director. I mean, just rude, obnoxious oh, questions, probably 10 different questions up until the point where the other board member who had thrown the papers looked at the executive director and said, you're not half the leader Phil was. Oh, God. And I thought, okay, this just took a really inappropriate turn. The, the executive director's wife is now in tears. And, and come to find out after the fact that Phil was the director 12 years ago. 12 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> and they're still holding some baggage from that, right? So, so you know, the next 25, 30 minutes, I literally sat there silent while the board and the executive director had an argument, right? And I'm thinking, like, I've never been, I've never had this experience before. This is, this has to be, like, some, am I on some sort of, you know, am I getting punked here? What is this, you know? Um, and, and, but the best part was, you know, after things finally settled down, the board chair sweet nice gentleman he looks at me you know kind of leans across the table and he says well andrew now that you've heard where we are <laughs> what do you think your company can do to help us <laughs> and so i promptly folded my laptop i put it in my bag i put my papers in my bag and i stood up and i said our policy is only to take on partnerships with organizations where the board and, and the organization are aligned. Yeah. And it's clear to me that there's not alignment in this room. So I need to leave. And, and they, the executive director and the board chair followed me out and they were like, you can't leave. We really need your help. And I said, guys, are, were we in the same meeting? Because nobody else on the board believes that. And, and, you know, so these two poor guys were trying to make change and they were just in the midst of an organization that was highly resistant to it and that really had entrenched thinking. But, uh, you know, they ca they carried on for another hour or so. The, the executive director called me after the fact, you know, about a week later and apologized for, for the experience. And, and he was like, <laughs> you know, it got even worse after you left. And, yeah, and, and I thought, geez. you know, I've never been in a meeting like that before and I never want to be in one like it again. Um, yeah. yeah, that one, that, wow. that, that is, yeah. One of the craziest. Wow. wow. Okay. <laughs> Man, that, uh, you definitely win most awkward, uh, experience of anyone on the podcast yet. That is, <laughs> you're not half the leader Phil was and. Meanwhile, Phil's in prison for uh, right, right, or like retired out fishing or something at this point. Yeah, I so man, so many man, so much weirdness, and this is so it infuriates me when somebody winds up on a nonprofit board because they were like slightly above average successful in something yeah. and so they can write a $5,000 or $10,000 check and then they think they're an expert on all things that ever existed. Yep. That drives me crazy. Like okay, you're you're on the board, but like if you were really that fancy pants amazing, you could probably write like a $5 million check and just solve this problem right now. But you can't so yeah. 
we're bringing in experts and it's okay. Like just because you know architecture doesn't mean you know direct response marketing. Right. Or just because just because you're like a brain surgeon doesn't mean you know anything about major gift fundraising. And like that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is a whole different podcast conversation. Um, and I could tell you so many stories of organizations that have been destroyed or have put themselves back three to five years in their strategic plan because they've they've and this is what really baffles me. They've paid for professional counsel. Yes. And then disregarded it because of and this is a rude way to say it. I don't know a better way because yeah. they've trusted the pooled ignorance of mm -hmm. people who just aren't don't live it every day. Right. Right. Yeah. But they've said, well, wait a minute, that person's on our board, so we're going to listen to them. Yeah. Even in when that is in conflict with decades of proof to right. that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. For sure. Well, Andrew, this has been a phenomenal conversation. We're kind of wrapping it up quickly here, but I know you've you've got more stories, so I'm sure this will be a, a fan favorite. So we'll have you back on the podcast at some point in the future. But where can people where can people go to find out more about you? Slash, are there any things you'd like to promote on the show? Yeah, thanks for asking. So first of all, I'd love to come back at some point. I'm excited that you're going to come on Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast very soon, so we can we can have uh, you know the next level of this conversation there as well. Um, you can find me all over LinkedIn. Um, if you can't find me there, you're probably not on the right website. Um, <laughs> you can find me at andrewolson.net. In fact, if you want to go there and go to the free resources tab, you can download a free copy of 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them. Uh, and that's and then, Olsen, O-L-S-E-N. O-L-S-E-N.net, yes. Um, and then uh, you can find Altus Marketing at A-L-T-U-S-M-K-T-G.com. Sweet. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. Yeah. This was a blast. Thanks for coming on. It was fun. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That was Andrew Olson, president of Altus Marketing and the host of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found it valuable, please share it with other fundraising professionals. And as always, leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show grow. Uh, the more ratings and reviews we have there, so please go ahead and do that. As always, I hope this episode has inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from having someone leave your organization in their will. <laughs>